to me, the only solution there is to find a new drop-in fuel that's going to meet the same requirements. And the, the, the great thing is we are doing it today. And that's where this Virgin uh, Atlantic Airways flight comes into play. It's proving that it does exist. You know, it can be done today. There is a future for sustainable aviation fuels. We just need to put, do all the hard work and get the ground set and the base and foundation set so that this industry can, can grow and meet the demands of the industry as a whole. Uh, I think we have a good start. Welcome to Sustainability in the Air, the world's first podcast dedicated to sustainable aviation. I'm your host, Shashank Nigam, the CEO of Simply Flying. Every Thursday, I have important conversations with top aviation executives, technology entrepreneurs, and policymakers helping aviation take climate action. Conversations that help separate the signal from the noise. Whether you are a frequent flyer or an airline executive. If you care about sustainability or simply love traveling, welcome aboard. I'm speaking today with Dave Kettner, who is the president of Virant. Virant is the aromatics supplier to Virgin Atlantic's 100% SAF flight that is happening this year. It is a milestone flight, but Virant doesn't just provide these aromatics to airlines like Virgin Atlantic. They've done lots of demonstrations beyond only Virgin Atlantic. Dave and I speak about what it takes to scale sustainable aviation fuel. They are specifically using biomass and biofuels as a source rather than e-fuels. And it's a very interesting discussion on scaling sustainable aviation fuels. Welcome to the show, Dave. Uh, tell us about Virant and yourself as well. You know, for explain it to me like I'm five in in the simplest possible manner. What does Virant uh, do, and what's your role? Yeah, this whole this whole space is very complicated, so I'll try to keep it nice and simple. Uh, I mean, ultimately, uh, Virant is a renewable fuels and chemicals company. Uh, we're working diligently to bring our technology to market. Uh, the technology is called the bioforming process. Uh, the process uh, is based on traditional refining technology uh, that's been modified to be able to take uh, carbohydrates from plants and convert them into the same things that come from oil today. Uh, so in essence, what we're able to do is we're able to take the sugar portion of plants, uh, run it through a catalytic process. So we don't use microorganisms. We don't use anything like that. We use traditional catalysts that you would see in a refinery. And we make a, a product that we call bioformate which is very much similar to a Reformate stream uh, that comes from petroleum, except it's produced from biomass and, and not from oil. Uh, that bioformate product then gets uh, converted or separated out into the same things that you see in the market today, gasoline, jet fuel, the principal building blocks that go into plastics, fibers, and films, you know, such that you know, we are able to transition to a new world where you know, the gasoline can be a low carbon gasoline from plant-based materials. Jets can be flown on uh, sustainable aviation fuel. That's 100% drop in uh, that meets all the requirements for today's infrastructure and jets. Um, but it's 100% sustainable, meaning it comes from uh, carbon out of the atmosphere, out of carbon out of the ground. And then lastly, on the chemical side, 
Um, you know, we provide the, the materials that go into, for example, polyester. So clothing uh, is oil-based today. Um, we can make the exact same clothing uh, as well as the same exact same packaging materials. Like the Coke bottle just over my shoulder can be 100% bio-based, fully recyclable, no different than what you see in the market today. It's just it's from carbon out of the atmosphere, out of carbon instead of carbon out of the ground. Is this some sort of a direct air capture process involved as well? Are you sucking carbon no, out of air at all? No, this isn't e-fuels. I mean, we utilize mother's, Mother Nature's carbon capture uh, technology, that being plants. You know, I think if you go back into your old science notebook, you know, you'll know that, you know, the biggest food for plants is really carbon out of the atmosphere. It takes the CO2, it converts it into uh, multiple different components. The largest components, actually, quite frankly, are uh, sugars. You know, roughly 55 mm -hmm. to 85% of a plant is made up of sugar. And what we try to do is we capture that uh, from the plant itself, utilizing its technology, and then convert it into, you know, our fuels and chemicals. It's, it's kind of really no different than what Mother Nature does to make oil. It's just we do it in a matter of minutes as opposed to millenniums. Right. What about the resources uh, used for biofuels? Because you're a biofuels company. What sort of resources are required? both from land and, and just nature, natural resources? Well, so for us, we're, we're focused on the carbohydrate portion of the plant. Um, so there's various different aspects in the plant, uh, you know, everything from hemicellulose to cellulose to lignin. Uh, and we like the hemicellulose and the cellulose components. In some plants, they also make starch and make other sugars that can be used for industrial applications. We like those as well. And so when you look from a resource standpoint, um, You know, the most abundant uh, material in the world when it comes to plants is really the carbohydrate portion of the plant. And that's where we're focused on. Um, our technology, given that it is a catalytic process, we can use sugars from any source. So those sugars can be from uh, woody biomass. They could be from agricultural residues. Uh, it could be from lawn clippings. It could be from leaves. It can be from uh, energy uh, crops like sweet sorghum or miscanthus. Um, We can also obviously use first-generation sugars, and that would be the sugars that could come from cane sugar, beet sugar, uh, or corn, the starch component of the corn. Um, so, you know, the nice thing about our process and our technology is because uh, of the nature of the technology itself, we're free to use sugars from pretty much any portion of the plant, uh, whether it's waste material uh, or the plant itself. I was recently at a Boeing Sustainable Aviation Fields, uh, a Boeing Sustainable Aviation Together event in which they had both the U.S. Secretary of State for Agriculture speak and they had, I believe, his U.S. count, uh, his EU counterpart uh, speak as well. And they were both, it seemed like they were on different planets. In, in Europe, there's a lot of anxiety about using biofuels and sugars from plants and, you know, these resources going towards aviation, whereas... Uh, in the U.S., it was like, oh, we have enough for everyone. Do you feel there's scarcity? Do you think there's, there's enough uh, for your purposes? I, I, I very much think so. I mean, again, it, I think if you look at across, uh, you know, multiple different industries, you know, uh, there is ample supply. You know, uh, the U.S. agricultural industry, in, you know, in particular, um, is the far most uh, advanced technology and advanced capabilities You know, in the world with respect to growing crops and doing so in a way uh, which can be sustainable uh, if we give them the opportunity to. Same thing on the wood side. Uh, if you look at the forestry industry um, and a lot of the strategies which are now being considered uh, for that industry, 
um, you know, to be able to take uh, uh, thinnings. So cleaning up forests so that uh, reduce the chances of forest fires. What do you do with that material? Uh, agricultural residues. Um, so right now um, in Brazil, as an example, you know, taking and harvesting sugarcane, they burn the bagasse uh, for purposes of energy production. You know, the question is, can you use that in a more efficient manner? Uh, if you look at rice hulls, if you look at wheat straw, if you look at a lot of the residues out there, there is a significant amount of biomass which is available. The question is, what's the most efficient thing to do with it? Uh, Europe has a very different approach to it um, and certainly looks at things in a different way uh, than we do here in the United States. Uh, but I do firmly believe that when you look at the options and opportunities around biofuels, there are ways that we can do this. Uh, which will be not only friendly for the environment, but also meet all the other requirements around the world, including providing food for the growing population. That's definitely the sense I got uh, from the U.S. Uh, side as well. So I'm, I'm glad to see that's the feeling you're getting. Now, you were, of course, in the news recently because you're now working with Virgin Atlantic to power their 100% SAF flight. Uh, and I previously had Holly Boyd from Virgin Atlantic talk about this. Tell us about your role. What does this project mean to you? How are you doing this? How are you making this possible uh, from a logistical point of view as well? Um, my humble opinion is that this flight would not be possible but for Virant. Uh, so what we are contributing is a critical portion of the fuel uh, that will be going into the plane. Um, jet fuel today is made up of two principal components, a paraffinic component and an aromatic component. Uh, there are a number of companies, including our partner on the flight, uh, BP, which are providing the paraffinic component. However, uh, planes today need aromatics. Um, and so what we produce is we pr actually produce a clean burning aromatic component that meets all the requirements of jet fuel. Uh, and it helps and makes sure that the plane stays in the air. The fuel does not fall out of the plane, you know, like you would see if you did not have uh, aromatics in your fuel. So we are contributing the aromatic uh, fuel component and BP is contributing the paraffinic fuel component. We're combining those together and you arrive at a jet fuel, which is fully within the, the specifications and is no different than uh, jet fuel today, except it's from a sustainable source and also it's a cleaner burning fuel. In fact, our aromatics component, we've specifically designed it uh, so that uh, you reduce particulate matter emissions in, in jet fuel. So our fuel, once you add it into a paraffinic fuel, uh, you'll see a 70, up to a 70% reduction in particulate matter emissions. And then this flight will also uh, establish and study you know, the impact on contrails. Our expectation is given the nature of the fuel, the makeup of the fuel, that you'll also see a reduction in contrails. So ultimately, what we are contributing to this flight is the opportunity to produce and provide a net zero, zero carbon jet fuel uh, that is cleaner burning and uh, meets a, a lot of the requirements moving forward so that we don't have to change planes. We get to maintain the existing infrastructure. Uh, you can have uh, implementation of these technologies, our technology in particular, without having to change anything that uh, today's customers and the, uh, today's airlines, uh, as well as freight carriers, uh, currently do. What I understand is you're providing the aromatic component for this flight and BP is providing the other bit. How are you getting this aromatic component? Because my understanding is this flight is from London Heathrow to the US and not the other way around. How is this getting to the flight? So we produced uh, our uh, portion of the fuel here in Madison, Wisconsin. 
uh, utilizing uh, our demonstration refinery that we have uh, at our facility. Um, <clears throat> so we have produced that fuel component. Uh, and in order to make sure that we're keeping the carbon uh, 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 value for the fuel down, uh, you know, we put it on a boat and we're shipping it overseas. I think as we speak right now, it's somewhere in the middle of the Atlantic on its way to the UK. Uh, once it arrives in the UK, uh, our friends at BP uh, will then take that fuel, combine it with their fuel, and we'll be delivering directly to Virgin um, the a fuel which is 100% uh, jet fuel. It's just it's a sustainable aviation fuel. I have to ask you this. What about the emissions of transporting this fuel across the Atlantic? So we had a couple options, right? You know, you can put it on a spaceship, send it up over, and then maybe it comes down. Uh, you know, it's Virgin, so Virgin Galactic. Um, that would have been kind of cool, but it probably would have been a, a pretty hefty carbon footprint. Um, you know, we can in some other flights that we have done uh, in other parts of the world, you put it on a plane and you send it over. Um, but in this instance, um, you know, utilizing a marine vessel and also shipping by rail, you know, it's the lowest carbon uh, um, process you know, for transporting goods. And so, uh, you know, it's on a long, slow boat, you know, going from ultimately from the United States into the UK. Uh, but because of that, it carries a very low carbon footprint. I'm glad it's not a barge. <laughs> not um, a barge. <laughs> um, it reminds me of when Greta Thunberg decided to take a boat across the Atlantic and not fly to lower her carbon yeah. footprint sometime back. What does this partnership mean to you? I mean, Virgin Atlantic is a major airline brand, a well-loved airline brand. They are doing this 100% staff flight with the support of the UK government and the ecosystem. How does this fit into your plans and what does this mean for Virant? So right now, our, um, our, our jet fuel component, so you know, we, we call it Bioform SAK. SAK stands for Synthesized Aromatic Kerosene. So our Bioform SAK is currently going through the ASTM approval process so that when we have our commercial plant up and running, we'll be able to sell the fuel into the commercial market. Um, that will allow us then to blend our fuel with other uh, fuels to arrive at a lower carbon fuel. What this flight does, <clears throat> it continues to further you know, down the pathway uh, to uh, showing that 100% sustainable aviation fuel is a possibility. Um, and you can do so in a way which does not require any new aircraft or new fueling infrastructure or a second fuel being, <coughs> being introduced into the industry. Um, you know, we've already done one flight with United Airlines. Uh, that was a single, you know, that was um, a Boeing 7, 737 that had a you know, regular jet fuel in one engine and uh, sustainable aviation fuel in the other engine, very much similar to what we'll be using with Virgin. Uh, that one also had passengers on it, but it was a, you know, just a one engine. Uh, we've also done a demonstration flight with Emirates, Emirates Airline. Um, also a demonstration front, uh, flight with Gulfstream and a G650. And this is their high-tech, high-end, uh, um, you know, private aircraft. Uh, that also had jet fuel in one engine uh, and then sustainable aviation fuel, 100% drop in sustainable aviation fuel in the other engine. Uh, and then we did uh, a demonstration flight with um, with Bell Helicopter, and that was a single engine aircraft uh, where the entire helicopter was flown on 100% drop in sustainable aviation fuel, uh, made possible by by ours. This is just that next step in that process, and really showing that uh, sustainable aviation fuel 
uh, is real. Um, this flight, <clears throat> as it stands today, um, is intended to be 100% sustainable aviation fuel through the entire aircraft. This is an aircraft that's going to be pulled out of service, so it's being used in everyday you know, flights. Uh, they'll drain out the old fuel, put, uh, put the sustainable aviation fuel in, uh, and then that plane will take off. And once it lands, they'll remove the sustainable aviation fuel uh, and put it back into service with regular jet fuel. So, you know, really what it demonstrates then is that you can take a sustainable aviation fuel and you can have it be a direct replacement for regular jet fuel and without any impact on the aircraft uh, or the services which are being provided by the airlines. Uh, and to me, that's a big step. Uh, what it will also do then, it will provide support and data so that the um, ASTM approval process will ultimately approve 100% sustainable aviation fuel to be sold into the market. Right. So I think this is very important what you shared, right? This gives you the data to ultimately get the certification for 100% SAF flights. I wasn't familiar, but now I do know that you've done a lot of these demonstration flights from Gulfstream to helicopters to uh, Virgin Atlantic and, and the single engine on the 737. What is your goal for these demonstration flights? Is it for the airline to then scale your solution to all of their flights? Is it for the local authorities to grant you the certification? What is the ultimate goal for doing a lot of these demonstration flights? I, I think it's the ultimate goal is to show the world in, as a whole. Maybe it's the policymakers. Uh, maybe it's the consumers. Uh, so that you're, you're person on the ground who's looking at flying and what, you know, trying to understand how can they participate in this energy evolution. Uh, I think it's also to the industry, uh, to the, you know, air, aircraft manufacturers, engine manufacturers, uh, to the airlines as a whole, is that there is an option out there uh, to transition to. Uh, it's not just about uh, trying to find ways to make operations more green, so to speak, on the ground. But as an industry as a whole, um, there is a solution out there. We just need to do the work to make that solution a reality. Uh, and part of doing that work is building plants. Um, ultimately, if you look at the volume of jet fuel, which is consumed on an annual basis uh, around the globe, it's a very large number. Uh, you can't achieve a transition to, this, uh, to a new energy source unless you start building those plants. And then the question is, how can we do so in a way which is economical? Uh, so we reduce the burden either on the industry or on the consumers themselves. And a big part of that is by, you know, having policymakers supporting the efforts, uh, financiers, you know, banks being able to make investments in the space uh, to pay for these refineries that need to be built. And <clears throat> what our hope is that by showing that technology exists that can ultimately achieve this, will enhance those opportunities to make those investments so that the industry itself can grow uh, and then achieve what uh, you know various different groups are interested in, in achieving as it relates to sustainability. Right. No, thank you so much for explaining that so well. Uh, recently, there was a report in Bloomberg suggesting that U.S. airlines are falling behind their EU counterparts in sustainable aviation fuel use. How do you think this can be addressed so that supply matches demand. Uh, do you have some views on this? Yeah, so, well, first of all, I think uh, um, I think both the US and Europe are falling behind with respect to their goals and, uh, and expectations in the space. And a big part of that is because we need to get volumes into the industry. Um, you know, and ultimately that's the challenge is 
how do you start producing more sustainable aviation fuel uh, that's going to meet the demands uh, you know, of the industry as a whole? I think a couple of years ago, there was uh, no more than 13 million gallons uh, of uh, SAF produced uh, on a global basis. Uh, and that pales in comparison to, I think it's 120 billion gallons of fuel, which is uh, used on an annual basis, uh, globally on an annual basis. <clears throat> and that might have been during COVID, so my numbers aren't really you know, too strong here. But if you look at, you know, where do we ultimately need to get to, uh, so that both Europe and, and, and the U.S. and Asia, uh, in particular, and other portions uh, around the globe, are able to take advantage of sustainable aviation fuels, we just need to start building plants. And really, where that starts with is um, having the support from the equity-based industries, uh, you know, the financial markets, uh, uh, to build plants. And, and the biggest challenge for us today is, you know, finding certainty in the market itself. Here in the United States, we're still trying to figure out what is, you know, the regulations which are going to support the sustainable aviation fuel space. Laws have been passed, but regulations have not yet been put in place so that, uh, you know, the financial sector, it's not clear to them what are they investing in. Uh, in Europe, you know, they take a mandate approach to things. You know, but there are still questions with respect to aspects of those mandates. You know, what is going to be an eligible feedstock? What is going to be an eligible fuel? Um, you know, what's going to qualify? How do you calculate the carbon footprint uh, for those fuels? Because of that uncertainty in the space, it makes it very difficult for, you know, the financial sector to make investments uh, because they don't know what they're actually investing in. And, and that's where I think the biggest challenge is for us today is that we need to develop a level of certainty so that we can actually start getting steel in the ground, start building plants. And once you start building those plants, you know, then you can start obviously producing the fuels so that, you know, not not one country or one local region is falling behind, but all countries on all regions are progressing forward. Right. No, it's, it's a point well made. Now, you've, of course, been at Viren for over a decade. How has the landscape changed since then in, in the time you've been at the company? Because now there's the IRA, for example. How have schemes like this benefited you? Well, so one of the benefits of our technology is that uh, you know, we produce a diverse um, slate of products on the back end. Again, very much similar to uh, the refining industry. Um, so when we have our plant up and running, you know, we will be producing, uh, you know, three products, gasoline, jet fuel, and bio-based chemicals for uh, plastics, fibers, and films. Um, when we first started the, the company in 2002, uh, you know, the company was actually started on hydrogen technology. Um, you know, there was a big interest in that until about 2007, 2008, but that interest went away. Um, and uh, gasoline, uh, you know, biofuels became a very big, attractive aspect. Um, you know, everyone was going after cellulosic biofuels at that point. So, you know, feedstocks were all about, you know, how do you take woody biomass and agricultural residues and make biofuels? Um, you know, we, we fit nicely into that area uh, and we were heavily focused on uh, gasoline. Uh, but, you know, as the winds have changed and things have shifted, uh, you know, now sustainable aviation fuel is big. Um, the, the fortunate thing for us, we don't need to change our technology. You know, we just take a different cut of the product on the back end and we move it into sustainable aviation fuel. Um, you're starting to see, you know, a strong growth in interest in bio-based materials. Uh, you know, we recently have 
um, provided product uh, that helped make a, a Patagonia sugar down hoodie. So now Patagonia has brought to market a jacket which is 100% bio-based. Uh, Isimiyaki, a fashion house, uh, now has product in its catalog which is 100% bio-based. And this is polyester, no different than polyester today. Coca-Cola, you know, we've done work with Coca-Cola on uh, introducing 100% bio-based Coke bottle that's fully recyclable, no different than Coke bottles today. It's just it's bio-based. So, so you're starting to see a growth in that area as well. And then lastly, you know, renewable gasoline is starting to come back again. You know, I think, you know, people are looking at the challenges around electric vehicles. You know, you know uh, folks are starting to consider, well, what else is out there? Well, a low-carbon gasoline is a very strong option uh, you know, to help move the domestic transportation fleet into a low carbon solution. And that's the ability to replace your petroleum-based gasoline with something which is zero carbon or low carbon uh, and derived from biomass. And so for companies like Virant, you know, uh, given our technology, we're able to transition as things transition in the world. Um, you know, but, but to your point is, you know, it's, you know, there's a lot of ups and downs with respect to the interests. Um, you know, I think the IRA, the LCFS program in California have all come on board and have made each of those different areas very attractive um, and also has provided a little bit more support that makes it interesting to the financial sector to make investments in. You know, it, it totally helps that you've actually been at the company and seen all these trends. Uh, given that you're supplying aromatics and products to so many industries, why is aviation important in Byron's business uh, case? So I, I think, you know, for us, um, we are one of the only uh, companies in the world who are focused on aromatics. Uh, there are other companies that can produce, uh, you know, some level of aromatics that can go into uh, jet fuel as well. But, but we're really focused on, you know, bringing a clean burning aromatic component, you know, into the market that you can you know, mix with what other companies are doing and actually create a higher value, more efficient product in the long run. Uh, we think that that's a nice little space for us. Um, you know, aromatics is probably one of the largest chemical spaces in the world when you start looking you know, at uh, its use in fuels, whether it's gasoline, it provides the octane um, and the energy density necessary for a high quality gasoline. Jet fuel, we talked about aromatics are important uh, in jet fuel. And then certainly in the polymers markets, uh, aromatics is one of the fundamental building blocks for that entire industry. So for us, aromatics makes sense. Our technology makes aromatics in, in a way better than most others. Um, and again, on the jet fuel side, you know, we've tailored the process to make uh, the aromatic component in a way which is cleaner burning, more efficient, higher density, uh, and has the properties, you know, that help to overcome some of the um, properties of, of paraffinic jet fuels. I'm, I'm glad to hear that. Now, when it comes to sustainable aviation fuels, not only do you require the right feedstocks and producers such as yourselves, it requires a whole network of refineries that don't yet exist. Mm-hmm. Uh, is vertical integration something you're looking at? How are you addressing the situation? So, you know, just like everyone, uh, we're you know, down the pathway to build our first commercial plant, right? You can't get to plant number two, three, four, unless you get to plant number one. Um, and, you know, I think you see across the industry, a lot of new technologies coming to market, uh, which are trying to make that first uh, step to that first commercial plant. Um, we're no different than others. Uh, you know, and so our first step is to get that first plant out the door. Um, 
we're progressing along nicely you know with respect to our project i can't share any information with you other than what i just uh did on uh shashank but what what we are trying to do is we're trying to get the technology into the market our intent is not to just build our own plants but uh you know through our partnership with johnson matthew we are looking at licensing the technology on a global basis you know, we think the technology actually sits um, nicely such that it could be implemented in all parts of the world, depending upon, you know, where the, where the feedstock is. So, for example, you know, you can go to uh, South America where they've got a very strong supply of sugarcane or in Asia uh, utilizing the cassava plant or sugarcane in, in, uh, in uh, Asia. And you can take our technology, you can implement it there and you can be producing fuels and chemicals for that market. Europe, you can go into sugar beets, you can go into woody biomass, you can do uh, agricultural residues, you know, different feedstock, same technology. And so our intent is to be able to uh, take this technology, <coughs> excuse me, and license it on a global basis around the world uh, while at home here in the United States, uh, you know, building plants um, uh, to be able to provide directly uh, product directly into the market. Well, this is very encouraging because I know that today at least, 80% of the global SAF supply is in California. And there's huge global inequity in terms of where future aviation growth is coming from, which is places like India and Turkey and South America even, versus where the SAF supply is today. And it's great to know that Virens technology can be licensed and that's the solution you're looking at to ensure that you can get to hard-to-reach places where, which might have sugarcane like India or Fiji for that matter. Uh, yeah, the final question I... Yeah, go ahead. No, go ahead. Okay. Now, the, the, the question I had, uh, which I usually like to close with is, what gives you the most hope for future of sustainable aviation? So I, I think when you look at uh, um, the airline market and the aviation industry as a whole, um, and if you look at how the world has become really a global economy in the sense that you know, the, the barriers between regions, uh, the barriers from moving product from one place to the next across the world, uh, communications have all been overcome through technology development. Uh, a big aspect of that is aviation, such that, you know, you can fly, you can ship, you can move product uh, all over the world. And if you look at, um, you know, how does that aviation industry play in the uh, this space and the energy evolution towards the next generation. There's only so much that you're going to be able to do with new technologies such as uh, solar or, um, you know, hydrogen. When you look at uh, the necessity of moving products long distance or people long distance, you know, the question is, what is the next alternative? And really, the next alternative is replacing the petroleum-based uh, jet fuel with something which is more you know, uh, well, which is sustainable aviation fuel. And then in that instance, then, you know, how do you do so in a way which makes sense? Uh, I think the last thing that you want to do, especially since planes fly all over the world, flying to different airports, is to create a new fuel system, you know, where you've got uh, two different fuels. You've got a jet fuel and a sustainable aviation fuel. Uh, because you never know that plane that's flying into that small place in Fiji, you know, what fuel do they need? And I think the last thing that you want to do is put the wrong fuel in the wrong aircraft um, because, you know, you can't just pull the car over to the side of the road, the plane over to the side of the road and say, oh, shoot, what do I do? Call a tow truck. 
you know, it's in the air and, you know, you might be in a place where there's no place to land. Um, so when you look at the safety, the security and the options and opportunities around sustainable aviation fuel, um, the ability to provide a drop in fuel that's no different than what the infrastructure and in the industry utilizes today, but to do so in a way which meets the goals and objectives uh, with respect to carbon reduction. Um, to me, the only solution there is to find a new drop-in fuel that's going to meet the same requirements. And the, the, the great thing is we are doing it today. And that's where this Virgin uh, Atlantic Airways flight comes into play. It's proving that it does exist. You know, it can be done today. There is a future for sustainable aviation fuels. We just need to put, do all the hard work and get the ground set in the base and foundation set so that this industry can can grow and meet the demands of the industry as a whole. Uh, I think we have a good start. There's a lot of work that still needs to be done uh, on the policy side as well as on the industry side. Um, but, you know, everything's looking promising moving forward. Thank you very much uh, for the very comprehensive answer as well as the rest of the answers. Um, the final part of this interview is what I call the rapid fire round in which your colleagues, your friends, listeners of this podcast get to know you a bit more personally and we'll keep it casual. Uh, so I'll ask you a simple question like, what's your favorite book? And you have to give me a one word or a short phrase answer. So Dave, why don't we start there? What's your favorite book? Uh, Good Night Moon. Uh, reminds me of when I used to read it to my kids going to bed every night. Do you know there's a sequel now which says Good Night iPad? I did not know that. I, I, uh-huh. My kids are older, so... But, uh, <laughs> mine, mine are younger. I have I read Goodnight Moon to my elder daughter, and then when we went to get it for my younger daughter, the, there was a board book right next to it, Goodnight Moon and Goodnight iPad. And I was like, wow, okay. Yeah. You know, technology is me. <laughs> We've come a long way. Goodnight Moon to Goodnight, <laughs> Goodnight iPad. What's your favorite movie? Uh, I'm a Star Wars buff. I mean, I, I really enjoy all the Star Wars movies, so. Wow, you Star Wars definitely has to be up there along with Top Gun for pod, oh, yeah. podcast guests I have uh, here. Um, what's your favorite city? London. London. Okay. Well, I'll, let me know when you're coming through next. We will meet up here. Uh, um, on November twenty seventh, I'll be there. Fantastic. I will definitely. I'm, I'm looking forward to meeting you then. Um, how about your uh, favorite airline? Uh, I use them all. <laughs> that is a politically correct answer. <laughs> being, being someone from a legal background, I could have totally guessed you would do that. Uh, <laughs> what do you do in your free time? Um, I actually coach soccer. So I played soccer huh? growing up. I've uh, been coaching for the last 20 plus years. Um, so, you know, that occupies my time. Well, then I'd lead, lead on to my next question. Um, if you were on a long haul, 18 hour flight, who would you like to be your next seatmate? I'm guessing it might be a soccer star. Uh, no, actually not. Um, uh, uh, Sir Richard Branson. I think it's okay. very interesting. Uh, and I'm not saying that just because we're partnering with Virgin. Um, watched a document- documentary recently uh, and I found it fascinating. It'd be really interesting to sit next to him. Um, and understand his progression uh, through all the things he's done in life. Well, if you are going to be on that Virgin Atlantic flight, you might very well rub shoulders with him. Who knows? We'll find out. (laughs) Um, If you had a chance uh, 
to give an advice to your younger self what would you say um i would say you know what um oh, great question i think i would continue to say is you know uh find the things that you love to do and make sure that you do them with the full level of passion um that they deserve wise wise advice what is something you want to learn dave um i actually would like to learn how to fly a plane well you're in wisconsin i think you have lots of opportunities there to learn how to fly <laughs> um and and finally if we are catching up one year from now and we are popping champagne what are we celebrating the announcement of uh, our first commercial plant okay well i do wish you all the best for that dave thank you so much for sharing with us the details and the insights into what it takes to get saf in the air uh, what it takes to you know how you're working through aromatics and i'm really excited about this upcoming flight you're doing with virgin atlantic i wish you all the best and thanks again great thanks shashank thank you for listening to this episode of sustainability in the air aviation is one of the hardest to decarbonize industries yet there are multiple paths to get to net zero awareness is key to a green future so please give us your support to help our sustainable aviation insights reach a wider audience you can do this by sharing this episode on your network on linkedin twitter or even whatsapp or perhaps you might consider leaving a review on apple podcasts spotify or wherever you listen to this episode you can start a conversation with us by writing to us at podcast at simplifying that's simply with an i.com and for more content on sustainable aviation please visit our website green.simplifying.com and join the movement sustainability in the air is an original podcast by simplifying the show is produced by Uri Toth in Slovakia Dirk Singer is our director of sustainability who leads research for each interviewee out of Greenwich UK Shubhadeep Pau is our supervising editor based out of Mumbai and Singapore the articles are written by Ayushi Badola in Dehradun in India and Meera Hull in Montreal Quebec creative design is led by Lihia Esteve in Montreal Baiba Dreamen is the project director for the show based out of Valencia Spain Special thanks to Wendy Sim in Singapore and I'm Shashank Nigam the CEO of Simplifying and your host please feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn